politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow patriots, to the Conservative Review podcast. Scorn taxpayers, fellow countrymen, this is the one and only show to escape from the endless soap opera in Washington and actually discuss, you know, the policy and politics that all matters. It's funny, I was thinking yesterday as uh, this impeachment imbroglio really heated up and everyone's at their throats, at each other's throats, I was thinking, man, everything in Washington is more bipartisan than ever before. They passed the budget bill, kicking the can down the road till November 21st, um, addressing not a single issue that we need to address as taxpayers, the spending issues, the border issues, the security issues, nothing. Um, And then meanwhile, they're luckily, they didn't try to pass it yesterday, but they're at the cusp of passing really what's the biggest visa immigration reform in a bad way, as we discussed on yesterday's show, um, the biggest reform in in years. And that's the funny thing. When it comes to the real policy outcomes, both sides agree, and that is not a good thing. Um, Lots going on. So it is uh, Friday. We love Friday, September 27th. Um, We are pretty much at the end of the fiscal year for those of us who are policy nerds. Um, And it is also the end of the lunar year. So uh, Monday, uh, I will be out. That is the Jewish New Year uh, holiday of Rosh Hashanah. I will be out then. But we will try to fit as much as we can into today's show. Um, Yes, I am in a better mood. A lot of you have messaged me that, wow, the administration actually listened to one of our longstanding ideas that we discussed particularly at great length this week, uh, lowering the refugee cap to 18,000 and allowing uh, individual communities to veto refugee resettlement. Actually, even better than that, the draft plan as written would make it that the administration has to get affirmative consent before resettlement takes place. So meaning the onus is on the government to get their consent. It's not that all things equal, they could resettle unless there's some sort of override. How that's going to be done, like, you know, what happens if a county commission or council is one way, but the executive is another way, the governor is one way, that the details have to be worked out. Um, If we have time, I want to get back to this, but I, in case we don't have time, I do want to note that um, look, as much as I complain about the administration not doing things that they can be doing, we have to celebrate when they lowered the refugee cap. I, I wish it would have been zero, but 18,000 is the lowest ever. Um, even though if you look at the 20 other refugee categories, their their record numbers, uh, which the administration rightfully pointed out. Uh, so this, this is good news. But I, I want to delve into healthcare, something that you're not really going to hear about in the soap opera news, but I think every time we have what I call really a teachable moment, teachable moment, I really want to take the opportunity to go over this. And I want to have a little bit of a healthcare discussion today on the fundamentals of healthcare, health insurance, why healthcare sucks in this country, it really does, um, in terms of at least the delivery, the payment, the cost, the convoluted third party fourth party interventions. And uh, that's really, if you look at every poll, 
behind immigration, which we focus on the most, healthcare is number two. And we have no party really speaking to this. This is, I think, I'll tell you in all my years and all my work, I have gotten the most feedback from people that describe themselves as moderate or liberal saying, you know what, Daniel, I'm not a conservative like you, but I really like what you're saying on healthcare. It makes sense. And and I, it, it's just a shame we have no vision for this. Why am I hyped up about healthcare today? Kaiser Family Foundation put out their annual health insurance healthcare report, very comprehensive, um, lots of data on it. And the headline, some of you might have seen in Bloomberg, Wall Street Journal, Forbes, whatever it is you get your news from, uh, at least economic news. And you might have seen that the price tag for annual family employer-based insurance, this, these are the plans you get from work, have increased 5% this year. That's, by the way, two and a half times um, or two and a third times inflation <laughs> in one year now sits at $20,576 every year. That is now the cost of purchasing an economy car, like a Toyota Corolla, every single year over and over again for insurance. And, you know, before I just delve into the details and what this means, why it sits at the destruction of healthcare, and what opportunities we have to improve on this, I just want to say a lot of um, a lot of people, including Rush Limbaugh, seem to think that fiscal issues are off. Everyone's a fiscal liberal. We can't attack spending. We can't pursue fiscal conservatism. That is not true. It's because nobody is a nobody knows what it means to be a fiscal conservative and how to articulate it. It's actually the easiest thing to articulate. And the articulation would start with this chart I want to show you from the American Enterprise Institute. Beautiful chart they call the chart of the century. And no kidding, well done. I don't agree with them, that think tank on every issue, but they did a terrific job on this. And if you see in this chart, they showed the inflation from 1997 through um, 2017. So this was done, I think, last year. 20 years. And how many things the prices have gone down, vital goods and services that everyone uses and needs, and how many things have gone up. And notice what's at the top of the list. Basically, healthcare and education. The two things that the government subsidizes, distorts, creates monopolies the most. The things the government is the most hands-off on, namely electronics, software, computers, even clothing, other household items, pricing has gone down. Even food has kind of leveled off. Everything government intervenes with. This is the chart that every Republican needs in a ad and, and, and what a Republican presidential, but senatorial and, and congressional candidate needs to bring to any debate with their opponent if they actually believed in free markets and understood what a free market is and what it isn't and how to um, articulate it. The problem Republicans have, and we, we touched on this a little bit on last Friday's show with Congressman Chip Roy, one of the few congressmen who provides a vision on health care, that we don't have a free market system and, oh, we have to protect it from the Democrats who want socialism. 
we already have a socialist system, albeit a venture socialist system, a system where the government uses subsidies, welfare, the tax code, mandates, um, and regulations to funnel healthcare to a tiny insurance cartel of like five or six insurers to give them control of insurance and healthcare. And that's why healthcare is convoluted. That's why everything is third and fourth party payer. That's why there's no price transparency. That's why there's no consumer buying power, both for healthcare and now even for health insurance, certainly after Obamacare. That's why your choices are awful. That's why you're stuck with narrow networks. And um, I want to discuss this through the prism of the original sin, this nonsensical concept of employer-based insurance. But anyway, it has now gone up to 20,576. People don't realize that if you had 330 million Americans in one market all individually shopping around for insurance like they do with auto and life and homeowners insurance. None of this employer nonsense that government has created with the tax code and with regulations. And if you didn't have Medicare and Medicaid and all these programs, see, now that you have them, you need them because there is no other option. But if you didn't have them and everyone would purchase an array of options for insurance that are mainly catastrophic, and it would be very cheap. It would be, let's say, $1,000, $2,000 a year. And then the rest you would pay at a reasonable price with price transparency um, pretty much out of pocket over a certain amount that your insurance would cover. The price of health care would go down. The quality of health care would go down. The innovation and delivery would, would, would grow immensely. And our health care would look much more like the food shelves on an American supermarket than the food shelves in a Venezuelan supermarket. It would look much more like shopping on Amazon than it does the mini bar in a hotel room. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, you accidentally move a, a drink. Hey, uh, that will be $5 for the bottle of water. Well, that's what healthcare is. But anyway, the people don't realize you are $20,000 is coming out of your paycheck. You don't realize that. Now, the part that employees pay is also skyrocketed. It's um, $6,015, up about $1,200 per person since 2014. Um, but, e- but people forget, even the remainder of the $14,500 that the employer is paying, you're really paying it. Those are your wages. People forget that. Premiums on the employer market have increased, according to Kaiser by 54% over the last decade. This is the big lie of Obamacare that Republicans are too scared to talk about. Oh, I love Obamacare. No, 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 I don't want to take away from you. Now, individual plans have skyrocketed by like 300% and have become insolvent. But employer plans have gone up 54%. Now, you think if you're paying Cadillac prices for the premiums, well, at least then I don't have to pay more. You know, we're, I'm fine, and I actually agree with the concept, and we should have more deductibles, co-payments, and co-insurance, but that's if you're paying $1,000 a year for premiums. You're paying catastrophic premiums. But now we're paying 
Cadillac prices for premiums. And then, according to Kaiser, the co and, and and you all see this in your paychecks and your plans, deductibles, co-insurance, and co-pays are all going up. And of course, the networks are narrowing. And that's a whole nother story. My hope is that as Obamacare continues to destroy employer plans, we get rid of this entire concept of employer. See, as you well know, the problem with healthcare is that we have a third party controlling it. Right? You don't pay for your service with you and the doctor. You don't have a relationship with your doctor. Why? Because it's all run by the insurance cartel. But it's worse than that. More, most of healthcare in America, so 90% of healthcare is third party payer, meaning only 10% is paid out of pocket. About 10%, 10.2% latest uh, uh, CMS report. Um, but 90% or so of the third party is paid by a fourth party, namely government in the form of Obamacare, Medicare, Medicaid, SCHIP state programs, or your employer because of the government manipulated tax code. So, I mean... Imagine going into a supermarket to purchase orange juice and no one pays for it. It's paid by for by Tropicade and Tropicare. It's paid for by a third party, but most people get the third party paid for by a, a work plan or just straight up welfare or you know Medicare. If you would try to purchase orange juice in the store, that would be like, hey, well, that's $100 a bottle. Republicans need to give a vision. Conservatives need to give a vision, and those are two different people. They need to give a vision on what healthcare looks beyond insurance. Well, how do we get this stupid, pathetic idea of tethering your health insurance and because of that, by extension, healthcare to your place of work? Right, we, we don't do that with auto insurance. You don't get your auto insurance from, you know, Geico from from work. You don't get your State Farm or whatever it is homeowners insurance from work. So, in 1942, as part of a wage control act, stabilization act of World War II, you know, socialism begets socialism, and government created wage controls where they limited what you could pay employ employees. Well, back then, you know, we had a, a, la a labor market that was employee-friendly, you know, and they were competing. They needed workers. So how do you attract better talent if you can't give them more money? So that's when they started offering fringe benefits and, you know, pensions, different fringe benefits. And one of them, they started with health insurance. Government eventually got in on this, even though they first distorted the market to create it, and then they got on in on it in 1954, and an IRS rule codified it that it's tax-exempt. So if you're an employer, every dollar I pay my employee an extra salary is it's it's taxed. You have to pay tax on it, you know, employer payroll taxes. Yet every dollar you give to the insurance cartel, the, a private entity. That's tax-free. What that did over time, beginning in the 60s, but really accelerating in the 70s, 80s, with the, the, the HMO Act, um, 
you know, that's a whole nother thing, the HMOs in the 70s that were created by government, the HMO Act, along with Medicare and Medicaid that came about during the same time that destroyed healthcare in America. <clears throat> if you want to know, <clears throat> what are the numbers here? Why? If you want to know why, in 1960, we spent just $27 billion as a nation on healthcare, and today we spend $3.5 trillion. Okay, $27 billion. Even if you, adjust for, uh, if you adjust that for inflation, in today's dollars, that's $250 billion. Okay, so it would be $250 billion. It went up to $3.5 trillion. Okay? That's almost a nine, tenfold increase. That's that chart we showed you before, the inflation, just in 20 years. Well, this is, this is more than a half a century. That's it. Government... That's the reason. Government created the need and now has to subsidize it. <clears throat> so they've created this death spiral of empowering a private cartel through, remember, Medicare and Medicaid are not government fully. It's give it, it's, it's managed care funded through Aetna United Health. It's the same thing. 75% of, of Medicaid is managed care. It's run by the insurance cartel. They get all that buying power. So rather than having 330 million Americans in one market buying and everyone has to compete for their services, government made insurance the consumer and the provider at the same time. So they have all the bargaining power. You have nothing. If you want to come as an individual, you're screwed. And then that's how they could price fix. See, people often compare and contrast health insurance to auto insurance, for example, in terms of, you know, the equivalent would be with auto insurance, using insurance for gas and an oil change and, you know, new tires. And that's true, but there's another difference too. Car insurance and homeowners insurance, you there's a tab and they pay for it. They don't price fix and set the pricing for the materials of houses and cars, roofing and siding, they don't do that. Whereas in healthcare, they completely price fix us into oblivion. Why? Because that's where the money is. See, hospitals and doctors can't charge money that ain't there. If the money ain't there, the money ain't there. And that's what happened in, in pre-modern healthcare. The money just wasn't there and they couldn't charge it. Government feeding endless subsidies into the system 1.6 billion a year they subsidize federal and state. 1.6 sorry, 1.6 trillion. And then creating a monopoly for five or six insurers. That that that's healthcare problem in one in in, in one uh one swoop. That that explains it. And what they did by creating this monopoly of getting your insurance from the employer is it did two things. So a, it boxed the private individual out of the market. So if you want to buy insurance on your own, you're screwed. But the more important thing people forget is it tethered, not, not only tethered insurance to work, but in it tethered health care to health insurance. See, if you have everyone just kind of buying their own thing, a little bit insurance here, a little bit health sharing ministry here, concierge, different options. So then, you know, insurance companies don't control everything. Meaning it would be one thing if government tethered like health care to em employers. So, okay, you get the, you get the 
um, tax benefit on the employer payroll side if you give money to concierge, to health sharing ministries, other options. But it was only for medical insurance. It was one thing. So it made it that health care is now health insurance. That's how... That, that's why with State Farm and, and homeowners and Geico with car insurance, you don't have that price fixing. So we're, we're done. That is the single original sin of healthcare that needs to be, it needs to be rectified. But that's why they control everything today. I just wanted to go over that, you know, just as, as a change of pace to understand that it doesn't have to be this way. And again, the quality of healthcare that it has destroyed. I could go on and on destroying private practice. It has created conglomerates now, monopoly after monopoly. Because government funnels all the money into one narrow area rather than it being spread out among all the consumers. So, um, you know, we're going to have an article out today on just a couple ideas. But I welcome you guys to go, and I'm going to put this in show in the show links. Our friends at the American Association of uh, Physicians and Surgeons, they have a great blueprint of how to make healthcare free again. Uh, when I say free, I don't mean 100% free in cost. I mean freedom, liberty. More choices at a cheaper cost with more innovation. It, it just it doesn't have to be this way. The problem is for too long, people were fat and happy that either if you're a senior, you get it from Medicare. If you're subsidized, you get it with welfare. And if you have a, a mainstream job in most places, if you're not like me, where you're a small business owner, you're getting it on your own. Okay, I get it from my employer. Here's my card. I don't want to see the cost. I don't care. I got to pay for it. But what I'm trying to tell you is that more and more, you are paying for it. You're paying for it directly with your share is going up, but the employer share is also your share. I think under my system, under a normal system, rather than $20,500 coming out of your salary so that you still have to pay, you know, several thousand in deductibles and co-pays. So let's say it's more like $24,000, $25,000 a year for, for healthcare where it's like, it's like going into the post office. They don't look at you. They don't deal with you. You get very little time with the doctor. The care isn't as good. The R&D is, is going down in this country. And it's going to be much worse because of Obamacare. And we're going to see it in the coming years. You know, that is all because of this system. So imagine a system where you'd pay maybe 8000 a year, buy it in a private market, get $12,000 in more salary and have better care. That's the system we need to strive for. I mean, ever wonder why you go to a doctor and they don't look at you anymore? They're like, like this. They're treating you and they're like this. Well, HIPAA, regulation after regulation, Obamacare paperwork, and the onerous administrative costs of government, Medicare, Medicaid, and the private, which isn't really private, it's venture socialists, insurance cartel, and all the stupid third-party payers. A Kaiser study found that physicians spend more than 868 million an hours annually just dealing with pre-authorization activities, much less all the other things I mentioned. Much of this would be eliminated 
by getting rid of third party and fourth party payer, or at least reforming it. Man, I could talk about this forever, but um, Republicans are getting crushed on this issue because they have no vision, no vision. They're just a less enthusiastic version of what the left is saying. So people are like, well, it's very expensive because people don't aren't explaining why it's like that, who's at fault and how to rectify it. Instead, they, they see the painful cost. So like, I mean, that's the thing. My father said this too. I mean, he's, a, he's going on Medicare. He's already forced to sign off for, for Medicare Part A, but he's going to retire soon and be in Part B. And he's like, look, I mean, you have no choice. There is no way you could pay a reasonable cost for catastrophic insurance and the rest pay out of pocket. They, they boxed you out of the market. So Medicare has engendered a need for Medicare. Government using the tax code to pay to to create this employer based model has made it that you need to get it from there. And then imagine the mark. I mean, this is another thing. Imagine the economic growth if not only would you be getting your full salary and not going to the stupid insurance cartel so they can get a monopoly to box you in, in, into oblivion and price fix the, the field. Imagine if people wouldn't make employment decisions based on stupid insurance. They'd be free to do what they want. Open up a business. So many people are dissuaded from that. The entrepreneurship um, that would take place as a, as a result of it because I, I what am I going to do? I, I, I need insurance. It's such a stupid system that everyone agrees. It, it, it crosses party lines. But we have no articulation. We have no articulation of this. Really, really frustrates me. Um, l l let me just uh, end, end this discussion with, with, with the final point. <clears throat> You know, you look at the profits that the healthcare cartel makes and, you know, how, how much money they make, which, which again, we're all for profits if you've earned it fairly with a good product that you get people to buy. And I want to talk about that with ethanol as, as part of our next discussion, which is another great opportunity for Republicans. But did you know that the cost of the employer-based tax exclusion and less revenue to the government is worth $280 billion a year. So as you all know, there's a lot of individual and corporate tax deductions, right? Everyone knows of the mortgage interest deduction, right? On your personal taxes. So, you know, you, you get to take off a deduction of your annual interest you pay on mortgage every year. It could be seven, $8,000 a year, some places, whatever it is. It's a lot of money. It's a big deduction, right? Everyone knows from that. Do you know that the cost of the um, health insurance exclusion, it's called an exclusion, the same thing as a deduction, basically, for employers, both on the payroll and income, because it comes up both on payroll and income. If you add it up, $280 billion a year funneled to the insurance cartel. Do you know that is four times the cost of the mortgage interest deduction? which is very prominent. Everyone knows about that. That's about four times the cost of it. So um, unbelievable. But imagine for a moment if government did the following. You liberals that love the insurance cartel, get money from them. By the way, the biggest lobbying industry is the healthcare industry. Uh, both the insurance cartel and the healthcare cart and the hospital cart cartel, which is another 
discussion. You know, the two cartels work with each other and government has enabled that. Um, where insurers are now buying hospitals, hospitals are buying insurance, CVS and Aetna merger, the mergers and acquisitions, all because of the government market distortions that we're talking about. It's a whole nother discussion we'll have one day. But uh, just wanted to mention this analogy. I want to leave this healthcare discussion with this analogy. Imagine if government mandated that every person buy a gun, at least one firearm, and they mandated that every employer um, purchase a gun for people. But worse than that, every employer is employers in the country are given two hundred eighty billion dollar tax exclusion to pay for gun insurance to purchase guns. And then you know what? The rest of it, half the other people in the country get gun care and gun cade um, by government, which is also funneled through private contracts with these same managed gun care to purchase a gun. Could you imagine the wealth that gun manufacturers and the gun care, you know, that doesn't exist, but the hypothetical gun care uh, uh, companies would make. Moreover, could you imagine if you decided on your own to purchase simple nine mil, nine mil, you know, nine millimeter, 40 cal handgun, Glock, you know, it'd be five, $600 normally, try purchasing it without your card. $50,000 per gun? That, my friends, is what healthcare is. That is what, what has happened to healthcare. It's not hard to understand, but you gotta care and you gotta believe. We don't have too many Republicans that believe in free markets. And if you understand free markets, actually that is populist. That is the ultimate populist approach to the public. Now, there's one more aspect of this free market discussion I want to talk about today. Um, after healthcare, you know, what's what's the next big thing? Well, food and fuel. One of the dumbest things that our government has done that that unfortunately even Trump has bought into, and so many Republicans have bought into, that is so unpopular, and, and you would have the opportunity to win in every state except for Iowa. And even in Iowa, Ted Cruz railed against ethanol and still won the primary against Trump there. Um, it, it's obviously the ethanol mandate. This notion that we are going to, and it's the same thing as healthcare, f use the boot of government to force people to do a certain thing to empower a monopoly so they could price fix you out of the market. Put garbage corn in your fuel, dilute the fuel, get worse mileage out of it so you pay more on, on, on gas, spike the cost of food because four out of 10 rows of corn grown in this country is now to shove in your engine and you know cord is the antecedent to the whole food chain so it raises the cost of chicken and meat and everything and uh i mean it's just it's just pathetic so another great example of market forces to give over to people is this so finally trump at least has relented a little bit and has has given in um to uh, 
to some requests from oil refiners to get waivers from the EPA not to blend. So this is from Nate Madden, my colleague. This is at blaze.com. Less ethanol mandate coercion by the government has led to a lack of demand, which is hitting biofuel com companies hard. One of the biggest arguments against corn-based uh, ethanol car fuel, as with other forms of green energy, is that it wouldn't survive in a market environment without the help of government mandates and subsidies. A recent story of an ethanol refinery in Iowa lends the criticism some credence. Biodiesel, com biodiesel company W2 Fuel announced on Tuesday that it will be closing down its 10 million gallon plant in Crawfordsville, Iowa, as well as a plant in Michigan laying off 50 workers. The reason for the shutdown, the report said, is a decreased demand in biofuel due to renewable fuel mandate waivers from the Trump administration. Under the federal uh, renewable fuel standard, oil refineries have to mix in a certain amount of biofuels such as ethanol into gasoline. The EPA, however, can give out waivers to refineries and that demonstrate economic difficulties. The register story said that the Trump administration has given out a total of 85 waivers since taking office, which has exempted gasoline um, many producers from having to mix in 4 billion gallons of biofuel and 1.4 million bushels of corn. So now, obviously, Iowa, uh, um, you know, Chuck Grassley from Iowa is saying they've screwed us, quote, unquote. He said that on television, you know, with these waivers. But wait a minute. Like they're saying like, oh, Trump is now siding with the refiners. But there's a difference. The refiners aren't using the boot of government to force anything on you. The ethanol guys are. They're acting like they have an entitlement to a government mandate that you purchase their product. Get out of here. If it's so good, purchase it on your own. Why Trump doesn't hang this around the neck of, I mean, and this is the beauty, Elizabeth Warren, oh, the great populist of the people, she supports this garbage. Imagine if Trump had this narrative on food, fuel, and 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 healthcare. Again, let's let's bring up this chart, this chart here, um, from American Enterprise Institute. If Trump took this chart to the debate with. Elizabeth Warren, let's say she's the nominee. I'm not saying she is, but you know, a lot of people think she will be based on current trajectory and said, you're not a woman of the people. You're a woman of monopolies, except the only monopolies you don't like are the ones that people earn with companies earn with proper service and good products at a cheap cost. The ones you support are the ones created by the boot of venture socialist government mandates that give people sucky products at a terrible cost and box consumers into oblivion, forcing them to spend thousands more on healthcare, as well as about $15,000, $16,000 more shouldering the burden of regulation. That is the narrative that could win elections. So anyway, that's our discussion with um, free markets today. And uh, look, I have a lot of good healthcare ideas. We're going to have four of them in this article out today. I have, um, if you want to Google 20 winning healthcare ideas, Daniel Horowitz, that's an article I wrote a few years ago. Lots of good ideas um, we're going to be developing over the over the months as, as we talk about healthcare more. Um, just want to get back quickly to immigration the remaining time. <clears throat> Before I forget, there was a story a couple days ago out of um, the U.S. Attorney's Office from Massachusetts. As you could see here, they put out a press release that they arrested 40 individuals in a massive fentanyl heroin drug bust 
in Devil's Highway, the highway coming up from Lawrence that's funneling all the drugs into New Hampshire and Maine and, and much of the rest of New England. And notice, I want you to notice the names. Look at the names and how they are mainly, they're all Hispanic-sounding names, and they're almost all from Lawrence. Those um, involved in the, in the bus tell me that almost all of them are illegal aliens, and probably the others finagle themselves into status. They're not, they weren't here for 50 years, let's just say that. Um, Dominican gangs that traffic for the cartels, it's all coming from Lawrence, which is a sanctuary city. They, the sanctuary policies are single-handedly responsible for the entire drug crisis, which is not an opioid crisis. It's an illicit drug crisis in New England. All the states you're hearing, it's terrible in New England. New Hampshire has been in the news the last couple of years. It has all come as a result of those sanctuaries. You know, people focus a lot on the border, and there's what to focus on. Okay, how many drugs come in through the, the port, ports of entry in trucks? How many are backpacked in and, and by illegal aliens? But what people forget is, what's more important is, you. it's easy to get in drugs one time uninterdicted. What's hard is to operate a profitable network in perpetuity with all the people who need to not just run it, but bring the profits back. Um, mix the drugs. Sometimes, depending on what it is, they reconstitute them under the eyes of law enforcement and not get busted up. Most of those people are illegal aliens at a primary trafficking level. And if we simply enforced our laws, I'm not talking about spending money on another war on drugs, but did what we need to do to enforce our immigration laws and sovereignty and security anyway, these people would be out of here. They have all these phony studies coming out. No, American citizens traffic. Not true. Now, they're involved down the rungs, of course. But at a primary level, you could cut the head off the snake by getting all these people out. Because remember, most of the people, when you talk about sanctuaries, someone arrests, they arrest an illegal alien and they let the guy go. What's the most common offense? It's drugs. Oh, it's low level. Now, that is the entirety of the drug crisis. That is the drug crisis right there. Because with Americans, let's face it, nobody serves any time anymore for drugs, despite what they're saying. The average sentence is 17 months for drug trafficking, not possession, trafficking. And, and that's only the few people who serve time. The average sentence is, is 17 months, according to Bureau of Justice statistics. Um, most people now get probation, especially the first and second time. So they get let back on the street. But an illegal alien, you could complete the cycle of justice by never dealing with the recidivism because you give them over to ICE and they're out. They're completely out. Now, ICE has done a good job. They've been on offense the last couple of days. All of their field offices, they're putting out lists of 40, 50 violent people let go. And of course, the media isn't picking up on that much. But never forget the reason, we, we've always had drugs, I get it. But why this degree of lethality at such a cheap cost because they're so ubiquitous in the market, it started when? 2013, 2014, right when we had the flood of Central Americans and the rise of sanctuary, sanctuary cities because we are no longer arresting these people anymore. That is the big thing here. And I, I'm going to pull up an article here, if you just give me a minute, um, that deals with this. And 
you're going to see a really good quote I have here. And sorry here, I just didn't um, prepare this. But there was once a sheriff who testified a couple of years ago, sheriff from Colorado, testified um, when Republicans still controlled that committee and talked about what sanctuaries are doing because Colorado, I mean, many, many places, all the big drug hubs there are, um, are sanctuaries. And this is just, just unbelievable here. He basically says, and I, I don't, I don't have it here right now. Um, see if I can find this. See, this is the problem when I think of these things extemporaneously and don't don't look at them. But um, basically, the point he was trying to make is that typically what happens is you um, you get a guy and he takes you to the stash house. And, you know, one after another, it feeds on itself. But when you stop arresting drug traffickers in general, even citizens they're doing, and then you have sanctuaries, it's a whole trickle-down effect. It was a really good quote from him. I don't remember. Was it, it was a sheriff or, or a narcotics officer in Colorado. Ken Buck from Colorado brought him into the hearing then. But anyway, that's the big lie. That's the big lie. And finally, I just want to end with um, running out of time here. The other big lie here is you're going to hear, oh, Trump, oh, he's only bringing in 18,000 refugees. That is such so disingenuous. Because we have so many other statuses that are a record. We have one million backlog in, in, in the immigration courts with asylum. You, you, it's the same thing as refugees. It's worse because they come unprompted and show up at your border. You don't pick and vet them. USCIS has to monitor and, and process all those things. So that's why it should have been set at zero. You can't compare a time, meaning under Obama, they say, oh, we had 100,000 sometimes. Yeah, but the the backlog in the immigration courts increased tenfold. U, U visas are also humanitarian. It's like refugees. And that's a whole scam. They've increased 20-fold. There's now 244,000 pending applications from just 20,000 when Obama started, took office. Then we have the unaccompanied alien children from Central America that we're going to have about 70,000 this year. That's about the normal refugee cap. So we, that should fulfill it. That's more than ever. And then, of course, our entire immigration system, 1.1 million green cards, mainly not based on skill, mainly coming from the third world, that, that, that's essentially humanitarian. Parole, VAWA, T visas, all these things are at record levels. So it's extremely disingenuous. That's the big line. You have to get that out to people. saying, Oh, we're not bringing in refugees. Nonsense. We're bringing millions of them. So, you know, the least we can do is take this one category where we have a choice not to bring them in and not bring them in if we have all these other people showing up. And boy, that doesn't even include the biggest refugee system of all, at least according to Federation for Immigration Reform, 14.3 million illegal immigrants at a cost of $130 billion to the American taxpayer. Anyway, we covered a lot here. Lots going on. I left a lot more on the table. Sorry, we're out of time. I'll be out Monday and Tuesday. I know, I know you're groaning. 
But um, you'll have to stand guard for me. I'm taking a little break. We'll be back here Wednesday, same time, same place. Send this show, send all of this week's shows to 50 of your friends and relatives. That is what you can do to educate the public, spread the word that not everything has to be this WWE fake wrestling match between the red team and the blue team that is not very red anyway and all the soap opera. There is a vision that for the most important things that affect our markets, our prosperity, our you know consumer buying power, our sovereignty, our security, drugs, all of it, there, there is a better way. There's a better way that really, it's, you know, in my view, it's true conservatism, but even if you you don't consider yourself a conservative, it's common sense. And I think most of you would agree with me, and a lot of Democrats who aren't bought into this game would agree to it too, and a lot of people are sick of the system. You know, if you want to know what we could accomplish with a new party, clean slate, without any pre-existing baggage, just listen to the show and you'll see the op- endless opportunities. Hope you all enjoy your weekend. God bless you all. Mm-hmm.